I'm gonna go home and make chili after this. Yeah. I'm gonna make chili and I'm gonna make a taco casserole. Sounds good. That sounds like good lunch for this week. I think I'm gonna make it for Life Group. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're gonna do, uh, I don't know what for lunch, but just random stuff. What am I doing? Okay, there we go. Episode five. All right, we ready? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Welcome into the Double Check Podcast. I am Colin. That's Brett right there. Yep. He's getting himself a sip of water. Got to keep these uh, tickle the ivories with this water here. Tickle the ivories. I think that means playing a piano, unless your throat is made of ivory. But it is, it is that <laughs> sultry smooth that of a grand piano. All right. <laughs> that makes no sense. Wow, I'm learning so much about you in this. Uh, in this, I promise. Here, I, I used to be a music teacher. I promise. Okay. Well, uh, he, apparently his voice is like a grand piano as well. Uh, but welcome on in to the Double Check Podcast. This is episode five, and we are so glad that you are back here joining us. Uh, make sure you subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you can find podcasts these days. What are the what are some of the avenues that we are out there, Brett? Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. I think some people really like Stitcher. We our primary platform is Anchor. You can find us at anchor.fm slash double check. You can actually leave a voice recording on the Anchor app. If you find us on if you have the Anchor app, find uh, Double Check Podcast, you can record a question or a comment to us and it might make it on the air, which would be really cool. That would be really cool. We can play the audio. Yeah. And uh, if you want to type a message to us, we have uh, Gmail, doublecheckpodcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, uh, make sure you email us something before you give us a not five-star review because we we deserve the five-star. We do. We've We've worked hard for it. All right. So let's get into it. All right, so uh, we're going to start here with the old coin flip, and uh, it's my turn to call it today, so uh, with this episode five podcast, I'm going to call Tails, because Tails never fails. Tails, Tails, here we go. And it is heads, which means I have won. And as promised last episode, there would come a time where I was going to be selfish. It is now. I'm going to go first this episode. Last week, I talked about a guy named Richard Dawkins, and it got me thinking about science and religion. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, man, what a can of worms I've opened up now. About the same time that I was thinking about this, I saw an article about the the world-famous scientist Stephen Hawking from CNN. So I'm going to reflect on this idea through a lens that's focused on Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking is undoubtedly one of the greatest minds of the last century. The technical knowledge and imagination that this great intellect has has sparked scientific exploration and piqued interest in theoretical physics. I don't think of myself anywhere near the intellect of Stephen Hawking. There are only a handful of people on the earth that should even entertain the idea of being as smart as him. However, I do take issue with many of the stances and assertions that he makes. 
So since Hawking has recently passed, I think it might be a good time to talk about some of the significance that he has that I really don't think he should. Up until his passing, Stephen Hawking, along with Richard Dawkins that I mentioned earlier, had taken up a role that functioned in many ways like a prophet of the latest atheistic movement making complete and wide-ranging claims that God does not exist and science explains all. Let's look at his words. It is interesting that in a 2010 CNN interview with Larry King, Hawking said the following, God may exist, but science can explain the universe without the need for a creator. Then later in the same interview, he doubled down. He says, the scientific account is complete. Theology is unnecessary. Notice that he went out of his way to say that, that God could exist. He didn't say that he didn't exist. He just asserted that scientific understanding makes God unnecessary. Further, in his book, The Grand Design, which was written about the same time as this interview, Hawking says, because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Set aside the fact that this claim is a logical impossibility, he does at least attempt an explanation. And now, in a book being released after his death, he makes the definite assertion that God doesn't exist. Remember, in 2010, he noted that God may exist. Now, he's saying definitely God does not exist. I'm not going to get into why his logic about the creation of the universe is faulty, like I mentioned earlier, but I do want to hone in on why people think he is qualified to speak to these matters. Why is it that so many people are quick to adopt the philosophical and theological views of a man that quite literally has the same qualifications in these arenas as you or me? Just because he studies science? Science in its original state was the study of the observable universe. It still is, or it should be. It's how things work. The science that we speak of now has taken on a new meaning. It makes assertions about philosophy, theology, sociology, and other disciplines that it was never meant to carry. The modern idea of science is really a worldview, the way you look at the entirety of existence and not just the physical universe. And many scientists like Hawking have elevated their discipline to a preeminent status above other disciplines. Society has fallen for and followed this. In many ways, the idea of science has become a religion or a worldview, now explaining not only how, but why things happen. Intellectually honest scientists and theorists will concede the fact that science does not explain what happened at the beginning of space and time to set everything in the motion. We know more and more every day about what happened thereafter, even fractions of a second after initiation, but not what caused it to come into existence. The religion of science is not all-knowing, as some would want you to believe. It is not all-encompassing, and its practitioners are not qualified to speak into all aspects of life. Many are false prophets from a false religion. I'm thankful for Stephen Hawking and for many other great scientific minds that overstepped their bounds. If it weren't for them, we wouldn't see how literally awesome 
God as creator is. Science will never be able to explain the entirety of the human existence. Christians know that God is much bigger than science. He is the creator of it. All right. Well, you got, you got a lot of ground covered there, Brett. I actually read part of his book, The Grand Design, when it, uh, when it came out. And um, to me, it was he has this whole idea of determinism which is essentially everything is uh, is predetermined uh, and whether one believes in science or a creator, as Stephen Hawking's dichotomy uh, would put it, is is already predetermined by the universe. It was predetermined in the Big Bang, I'm guessing is what you say, right? Yeah. And, you know, so in, in reading the book, for me, well, I, I didn't read the whole thing, but in the parts I read, the the big difficulty was, well, okay, so if I don't agree with it, so what? Neither one of us is necessarily right or wrong. He was just determined to have this idea, and I was determined to not agree with that idea. Yeah. So who cares? Yeah, exactly. It piques my interest because God being outside of, like, let's assume there is a God, right? I'm a Christian. I assume there's a God. Assume God is outside of space and time. To him, everything is predetermined. Mm-hmm. He's kind of speaking a little bit of truth, but not in the way that he intends it, right? Right. He still is speaking some theological truth in that statement, just with a faulty assumption that, gets, that started him there. So, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about, you know, it, it, because Stephen Hawking, he presents these ideas and, and this book that's coming out posthumously presents some explanations about the, the creation of the universe. And these are ideas. Whenever we talk about the idea, the um, creation of the universe and where everything came from, we can only talk about ideas and and philosophies and theories, and some atheists may read Stephen Hawking's ideas and theories and agree with it, and some some may not. But why do we as Christians uh, sort of do what an atheist might call a god of the gaps? Why do we assume that the answer is God? I think through history. That's kind of what we've relegated God to be. It was, I can't explain this, so I'm putting God there. And this is before Christianity was ever about. This I'm talking about like pagan gods, right? We had gods that, hundreds of gods that explained the different things that we didn't know how to explain. And so I think through history, we took that idea of, I'm going to create a God, or there must be a God that controls this thing. And we took that and we applied it to the Christian God, and it was incorrect to do that because God is so much more than just what we can't explain. He is the creator of things that we can explain. That's why science got started to begin with. People said there was a creator there was an intelligent creator, and so an intelligent being would create things with a certain order. And so they expected order. They expected the observable universe to be consistent within itself because it was written, so to speak, by the same 
person. And so we, we took these these pagan god things, the god of the gaps, and placed it on the Christian god, which should have never happened to begin with. Sure. Uh, all right. So where, where are you going to uh, go next, Brett? What, what can we expect from you in the next episode? I, I don't know where I'm going to go next, to be honest, Colin. I... Um, I've kind of it's been natural flow. I did the our God's call on us, uh, and I've now stepped a little bit into. Uh, well, I did a doctrine, and it naturally led me to this science thing. I'm just I might see where where God uh, or just in my reading in the Bible what sticks out to me. So this is going to be something next week completely new. So. I don't know. Who knows? I might come back to the science thing. I like to harp on it a little bit. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. All right. All right. What do you have for us, Colin? Well, I have uh, something that we're going to talk about today, which is the seeker-friendly Savior. But first, I want to ask you a question. Uh, have you ever found yourself wondering why you don't learn much of the Bible in church? Now, certainly there are some exceptions, but for the most part, a typical Sunday sermon in an evangelical church goes something like this. Tell a story. That's how you'll start. Tell a story, preferably a humorous story, you know, get people laughing, and then somehow connect that story to a few verses somewhere in the Bible. You may have to reach to make the connection, but just do it. And then mix in a pinch of references to pop culture or popular movies, and then Give the people a few practices or a tidbits, maybe some self-help psychology, say a prayer, and you're done. Wrap it up and do it the whole thing again next week. But if you're a Christian who desires theologically sound biblical teaching with solid exegesis and clear implications for your life, you're going to be left wanting so much more. And why is that? Well, usually the reason is because the controllers of the way it is have bought into this idea of being seeker-friendly, of keeping things light and not reading certain Bible verses if they contain language that is too churchy, out of concern for someone who doesn't know much scripture who might be in the pews. But may I say to you, my friend, that is not the model given to us by the Lord Jesus. He is not a seeker-friendly Savior. When our Lord spoke publicly, He wasn't concerned with who was in His audience. He let the truth fly unfettered, no apologies and no disclaimers. Those who had ears to hear caught His life-giving words, and those who didn't, well, they were offended, and they became critical. That's how it was. That's how it is. So be it. The Lord Jesus was not seeker-sensitive. He was father-sensitive. He spoke the words given to him by his sender. He spoke truth, fully in agreement with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit only anoints truth. Father, Son, and Spirit ministered truth in unison, no matter who made up the crowd. And commonly, the crowds were a mixture. They included many Jews who had read and memorized and thoroughly knew the Old Testament, but also Roman soldiers who didn't know any of it. There were nervous controllers hoping to entrap the uncredentialed teacher, disciples who called him rabbi, as well as many who were in need of physical healing, the curious and the poor in spirit, the religious and the irreligious, the meek and the proud, the hungry and the critical, the mature believers and the brand new ones, all in Jesus' audience. And Jesus never watered down his message. 
He spoke truth to all because all deserved truth. So if nice people only ever say nice things, then Lord Jesus was not a nice man. If sensitive people only say what does not offend, well, our precious Lord was very insensitive. He spoke truth, the good and the ugly. He called Herod a fox because Herod was a fox. He called the religious rulers hypocrites because they were. And he told some Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, because those Pharisees were not children of God. But the evangelical way, it seems, is to offend no one, to preserve pleasantness, to be, quote unquote, Christian. If you don't agree, insinuate that you do or just be quiet. Beloved, this is not Christ honoring. Discretion can be a good thing, and there are times for reserving comment. However, too much of a good thing isn't. That is, it isn't a good thing. It's like a small scoop of ice cream smothered in hot fudge and piled on top of a piece of rich, gooey butter cake. Too much is just too much. There is nothing wrong with saying, I see it differently, or I have another perspective, or I respectfully disagree. It doesn't mean that you love that person any less. It doesn't mean that you argue over it. And you certainly don't waste your insights on an unreasonable person, or as the gentle Jesus put it, you don't cast your pearls before swine. We owe truth to those who don't have it. To the unsaved sitting in the pew on Sunday and in the next cubicle Monday through Friday and on the bus or wherever else on Saturday, freely you have received, freely give. Do not assume that public preaching is only for others. Consider that your prime example, the Lord Jesus, was a public speaker. But our religious population, which most definitely includes born-again evangelicals, needs serious realignment to be willing to speak truth in a straightforward manner. Many have to first be set free from their manipulators, the stern and inflexible guardians of the way it is. Then they can be free to choose the way, the truth, and the life as their life. To fulfill their commission to fight the good fight of faith and to bear much fruit, many of the saved must be saved from their misconceptions. To withhold truth because someone may not like it or out of fear for the controllers of the way it is, is immoral. To offend someone, actually to offend many for the sake of a few, even just one, is just. After all, that is what the Savior did. Okay, so the Bible was written a long time ago in a different culture than ours. I think we need to bring it into the 21st century. And so that format that you said at the beginning, um, you know, tell a story, you know, relate with the people, tie it to a Bible passage, make the passage relevant uh, to our time, you know, tell some anecdotes, tell people, you know, how to make their life better. That's that's my way of getting it into the 21st century. The Bible needs some updating to, to reach people now. What's your response? Okay. Well, the danger uh, lies in where you make the connection. Okay. So, there's nothing wrong with making it relevant to the people so that they can relate to it in their everyday lives. 
But the problem is where you make that connection. Sometimes they'll have to reach to make that connection. They'll tell the story and then they'll reach to make the connection. When you look at the passage that they're they're talking about in question, in its context, are they exegeting it or eisegeting it? And those are those are very big words, but essentially what it means is are they drawing meaning out from what the text actually says in its context, or do they have a preconceived idea, a preconceived plan or or something that they want to accomplish, and they're imposing that meaning onto it? Because you can make the Bible say anything if you do that. And that is the danger with the, sort of that shallow uh, type of, of, of preaching where you don't really learn what the Bible means in its context and what the implications are for your life because of that, but you learn what the, the controllers of the way it is want, want to have you do and want uh, to, to move forward with doing, and they pull out you know a half a sentence somewhere, a half a verse somewhere, and they say, because it says this here, well, this is what it means. People that are or churches, church leaders that are seekers will will say, quote unquote, seeker sensitive. That means they are very careful about not offending people. That's how I'm going to define it define it for our purposes right now. What's the hole in their theology? You say like I, I'm going to assume I'm going to guess that you would say that there's a hole in their theology based on what you just said. Can you pinpoint what the hole in their theology is? Well, I mean, it's hard to generalize what the hole in their theology is, but if you if you kind of look at it as a whole, the the thing is, they are not really giving people the gospel. That what what they're doing is they are making people a part of the church system. They're saying Jesus died on the cross, but they're not saying why. They're not talking about that was the punishment for your sins. They're not talking about the reality of sin in our lives and how we need to be saved from it. They're not talking about the reality of an eternal hell and how to be delivered from that. So if you only talk about, well, Jesus died on the cross and he came back to life, isn't that glorious? Yes, it is glorious, but what does it mean? What, what, what are the implications of that on my life? Why should I live my life any differently? And that's something that I think seeker-friendly uh, uh, churches are afraid to do because they're afraid that those people might be offended, those people who are not, you know, uh, mature believers in Christ might be offended, and then they won't darken their door the next Sunday morning. People are going to be offended, right? The gospel is offensive. Yeah. If if you've never been offended by the gospel, 100% of the time you haven't heard the complete gospel. It is offensive to people because that's the whole reason why why Jesus needed to come is because we are offensive to God. So how does it work in the way that if you preach the gospel in its entirety, people will be offended? How does it work that people end up coming around to accepting Jesus then? 
Well, that's, I mean, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Like, that's, that's the, the Spirit taking the things of Christ and making them real to a person. Uh, that's, that's God's promise it, it, that His Word is never going to return to Him void. If you take the Scripture, if you take the passage, you draw the meaning out from it, you say, this is what it means in its context, these are the implications of that for your life, you're going you're gonna to be offending people, like you said. But the Holy Spirit is going to use that. God is going to bless that because that is God's word to mankind. That is the message that God wants to give to us, and the Holy Spirit will make that real to, to the, the, those who have ears to hear. He will make it real. He will make Jesus real. And the fact that our sin is offensive to God, it is used <laughs> it is Isaiah says it is uh, like filthy rags. That's a that's a polite translation. It really means used menstrual cloth. That's what our sin is to God. It is used leftover bloody menstrual cloth that you're just going to throw away. That's what our sin is to God. That's how offensive and and objectionable it is. The Holy Spirit takes that reality to us and makes the fact that Jesus took the punishment for that upon himself so that God could be in covenant relationship with us. That is beautiful. That is the, the greatest love story of all time. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can make that real to a person. And if the Holy Spirit can use even that most offensive thing to bring someone to Jesus, why do people think that they have to help God out by – and this isn't a question for you to answer. This is just like me saying a rhetorical – like why do people think that they have to – add something to the Word of God or make it more relevant or more pop culture or or something like that to, to make it more palatable to people. Like, the Holy Spirit works in even the most offensive things, which is the gospel. Why do we think we have to do anything to help it? I don't know, but that's the way it is. That's the way it is. All right, so where are you going now? You know, I'm, I'm not real sure either. You, you talked about how you don't really know where you want to go. Uh, I, I have a few ideas that are kind of brewing. Um, you know, the, the idea is that we are presenting our thesis, th- theses each week, you know, and uh, I don't know that I'm Martin Luther. Uh, I, I do think that there, there needs to be sort of a new reformation within the church. A lot of the things that we've talked about uh, that are wrong with church culture um, I do think that there needs to be a reformation, but I don't think that I'm the guy to come up with 95 theses that'll get us there. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, me either. <laughs> yeah, but well, I mean, we will continue to talk about those things as we go. But I think maybe I'll. I'll uh, I have a few ideas brewing. Uh, one of them is we, we're coming up on the holiday season, so I might uh, might want to do you know a couple things about. Thanksgiving uh, and or Christmas as we uh, as we get into the the season there, uh, maybe even Hanukkah, uh, which is you love Hanukkah. I do love me some Hanukkah. You know, actually, I got to explain what Hanukkah was all about last night to my sister in law, and she actually had no idea about the miracle of the oil and the restoration of the temple and all yeah. that. And I'm just like, 
you do know that our Messiah is Jewish, right? Like he's the king that is going to be reigning on this earth. He's Jewish. The temple that's going to be set up in the kingdom, we, we're not going to get to go there on Sunday morning. It's only going to be open on Sabbath. It's open on Shabbat and on the new moon. That's what Ezekiel says. So you better start learning some stuff about Jewish uh, culture now mm-hmm. because that is the Messiah that we are going to be serving in eternity. Uh, so maybe we'll, we'll do something about, uh, about that. And uh, I might circle back, too, and talk about uh, some more specifics about some of the things that we've, uh, we've dealt with so far within, uh, within the church system. Yeah. Uh, so episode five, you know, we're, we're kind of putting a bookend on this collection of episodes. And we're starting anew, but we'll be referencing back. There's a lot of material that we said we're going to explore in the future. We'll probably go back and start picking some of those apart. So... Since I said picking those apart, we are going to go ahead and transition out as the music comes up. Any final closing thoughts, Colin? Uh, no, I don't really have any. I mean, it, I've really enjoyed uh, enjoyed this subject today. Uh, both both what you talked about with uh, with Stephen Hawking and and uh, what we, we discussed with uh, the typical. Sunday morning sermon that you'll hear in in 90% of churches across America. Um, It's just, I think, a lot of of things there to think about. So, make sure you subscribe, make sure you rate, leave a review, email us, doublecheckpodcast at gmail.com and we say it all the time, but that's, that's for you. You person on the other side of the speakers right now. All of that's for you. All right? We will see you next time. Thank you. Shalom.